Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Difference of Thought. You were tuned into the one and the only A Difference of Thought season two. Now, before we get into the regular spiel, for those that listen, you know what I'm about to do. But just want to let you know, it's a visual podcast now. So say, man, I've been away for so long. It's been so long. What have you been doing? Well, first of all, if it's your first time listening or now watching, A Difference of Thought engages in processes, recent events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith in the ancient art of truth telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought. This podcast is an honor and homage to the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right up above me. Uh, the philosophy of the podcast is basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction. Before first wondering where you'd like to see a difference, first consider where you'd like to see a subtraction. We also live on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and SoundCloud. So ladies and gentlemen all over the world, welcome to the one and the only A Difference in Thought. I'm your host, Charlie Ray. This is your first time watching or listening. Now I know y'all been saying, God dang it, where you been? It's been a long time. I know. I've been trying to get this together for you all. You know, you see, we've got, we've got, a, we've got a set here. Um, uh, we've got so many interesting uh, things and places that I've been. So, I mean, to be told, I mean, I've just been, I've been traveling for real. Like, it's, it's uh, thanks to my, my, my job, I've been able to do a lot of the work that I do that you all hear in your ear holes. It's not just happening in between your ears, it's happening outside of them in the world. So I've been able to um, recently just have discussions, um, preaching sermons, um, and um, screening movies. and um, So it's all been a, a similar theme, so I'll tell you all about that. But um, so welcome to the YouTube channel. So before we get started, go ahead and subscribe. Um, we're gonna have content for this. We're gonna have interviews, events, all sorts of things. This is gonna be the hub of what we're doing in this faith rooted revolution that we are trying to um, build. So, thank you all for listening. So, in all of my going comings and goings, uh, I have noticed uh, a trend, and you know. We are, this is Thanksgiving weekend, and it's interesting that due to the history of our country and the true nature of the relationships with Native Americans, um, it's interesting that this is, seems to be the National Day of Misremembering, or shall we say Disremembering. Uh, and the way that we look back on it uh, is just the testament of the American heritage and history has meant different things for different types of people. Um, if you want to get specific, if you talk about the white experience in America and the non-white experience in America has been quite different. Um, you can listen to two episodes ago, we talked about the souls of white folk and really what um, the nature of that has been. Or even like continuing through this theme and even in some of the beginning episodes, we talked about the most loving thing you can do um, be for a person is a truth teller. Is to hold a mirror to someone and say, "Examine yourself in light of what this um, truth is saying." Uh, I was reading. I was actually preaching a sermon. Uh, one of my friends, shout out to the homie OJ. Um, the state youth convention was coming together, and they pulled these young um, African Americans and said, "Hey, what do you kind of want to talk about?" And so the issues that they came up with was that they wanted to talk about the black experience in America 
and they wanted to talk about Jesus and how he kind of fits within this, uh, within that just kind of matrix of issues there. Uh, and so I came and I talked to them. It was an issue that uh, uh, that I was talking about. You were already clean, and it talks about how Jesus, when he was young. Um, was presented to a guy named Simeon and Simeon said he would be a light and he'd be a blessing but as Jesus went throughout his life um, you have people like Philip going to say hey Nathaniel we found him we found the Messiah right he comes in and Nathaniel's like what good can come from Nazareth you don't get out of here with that right uh, or the Pharisees calling him the devil all these types of things so you he was familiar with coming through a system where he was poor um, and he was under the boot of the Roman Empire and so many people had things negative things to say about him but he believed that he believed to speak the words spoken over him and the words spoken against us and there are so many and going back to the original context of America um, there are we kind of are this testament against America and so another thing that I shared in that sermon that I think is helpful for this conversation here is a story with John the Baptist uh, and now, if you listen to the podcast, we talked about him earlier and talking about uh, the problem with nationalism and uh, bearing fruits worthy of repentance. But here, John the Baptist finds himself in prison. Now, how did he get in prison? He um, testifies to this king and says, yo, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. Um, his brother's wife ain't really feeling that. So then she begins to hate John the Baptist. Um, the king respects him and is like, yo, I ain't finna kill this man. This is obviously a, 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 a man of God, right? But, you know, the, the wife just isn't feeling him. And so she asks on her birthday, you know, the king's like, yo, you have anything you want. She's like, yo, I want the head of John the Baptist. Uh, and so now he's the thing, but like, yo, why does she hate him so much? And so here's the thing with John the Baptist. She didn't hate him because, like, you know, of, of his weird hairstyle or anything like that, right? Or honey locusts, all the other weird things he dabbled in. She hated him because the truth he presented challenged her and made her reconsider the lie that she holds on to. She was holding on to about herself and her relationship with others. So I say that to say, and what I told these young people is saying that sometimes America will hate you or push up against you, not because of just who you are, but that your very presence as African-Americans we are the physical embodiment of the truth that challenges what America tells itself, right? Uh, and so we can get into um, season two, episode one. This is America, truth telling in the age of distorted nostalgia. Now, when you see a lot of the horrors that happen, so when you talk about the pipe bombing, the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, the, 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 the man that was trying to shoot up a black church, but then ran into a Kroger and shot two uh, black people and said, you know, whites don't kill whites. In this type of nature, you always will see people saying things like, this is not America. This is not the way that it should be. Uh, uh, or, you know, this is not us and different things like that. But really, the African-American experience, the Native American experience, the Japanese American experience, right? The, the, the Latinx American experience is saying, oh, wait a minute now. The way that you're looking back and reflecting on that is in contrast to the reality I've lived in this country. And so now the statement is not, this is not America. Now if you say this is, I want America to be something different than this because the truth is, outside of this distorted nostalgia, this has been what America has been 
for quite some time. Um, and the perhaps the reason why people hate America, hate African Americans and the Native American experience, and choose on Thanksgiving to uh, disremember what happened with things like the uh, Pequot War and 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 the and the Trail of Tears and all these other types of things, right? Uh, is because we just like the person who hated John the Baptist, they want to hold on to a lie that paints them in a better light instead of looking at the truth that incriminates them. Now, as I've been saying throughout this series, the, you have to learn the truth, we have to learn to love the truth that incriminates us because it is that truth that sets us free to be something other than the villain. Dr. King talked about this uh, in his uh, sermon, Guidelines for a Constructive Church, where he talks about, man, you know, uh, Jesus came to set the captives free and the captives in this racism thing aren't just the people having dogs thrown on them or the people who are being lynched and being assaulted, though that is very real. It's also people sitting in church views that are captive to racism. Uh, and because if uh, preachers are captive to fear and don't talk about it, we got to set the, if we're going to be a constructive church in this society, in this American society, uh, we, we have to speak that truth and set those captives free. Uh, Dr. King also said that we are the conscience of the nation. Uh, when in, in a nation that wishes to um, uh, say to forget the past and the, forget the sins that they have done, uh, we are that conscious. We are that living embodiment of a truth that people with distorted nostalgia don't want to hear. That is the same distorted nostalgia that says uh, make America uh, uh, great again. It's the same distorted nostalgia that says let's talk about northern aggression during the Civil War. while. It, while ignoring uh, the Southern aggression and the terrorism that was the Confederate, uh, um, that was the Confederacy, and that was uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, and that was the Jim Crow South, and so one of the other things that I was able to do is I was able to venture on a bus trip, like a 12-hour bus trip, with a bunch of other black, beautiful people. Shout out to the black behind field trip they didn't say behind but i'm gonna say behind here <laughs> fill in the gaps y'all we got to venture down to the national memorial for peace and justice by the good brother uh, brian stevenson uh and what it is is a uh living embodiment of truth that talks about the history of america with lynching and so a lot of the lynching sometimes was politically motivated. Sometimes it was just as little much as as someone whistled at a white woman or someone just found someone to be annoying. And so like they, when we talk about truth telling age of distorted nostalgia, these are the types of narratives that typically are left out. James Baldwin talks about this in his letter to his nephew that talks about you'll see these violences happening against your people and see that you are asked to forget about them. And we talked about this in our episode, um, uh, whose past matters, right? Uh, where where the African-American is often and the Native American is often told uh, forget about it while everyone else is told never forget. And the reason we're talking about that is that we're not just saying this to get our narrative told, though it's very important, we also want to see captives set free. If America's gonna be something different, nostalgia isn't the way that's gonna be that is gonna be happening, right? Um I love Thurgood Marshall. Uh and he's talked about at the bicentennial the signing of the um uh, of the Constitution. And they, you know people saying this is the greatest 
man-made document, all this thing. Frederick Marshall said, hey, look, brother, it's an all right document until we fought and did what we had to do to actually make it be real to other people. And so when you're so much caught up in this distorted nostalgia, you can't really, you can't really capture the um, true foe and, and original sin that America still faces. And so we're gonna go into a segment now called A Difference in Resistance. And it's gonna be called Honor as Resistance. I'm gonna take you to what I saw at the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. It's gonna impact you when I have your way. This is a difference in thought. Check out a difference in resistance. Honor as resistance. I recently ventured to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice on Veterans Day with a group of African Americans to honor who our veterans have been in the war that has been the racial caste system of America. It was haunting, but also strangely helpful to see monuments used in a way to honor the people that should be honored. But it was like walking through a graveyard and just to see the magnitude of terror. Now, for those who don't know, each of these represent a county where a lynching happened. And it's not just one name per board, though. Imagine how massive that would be. Some of these have two names. Some of them have up to 20. I understand the magnitude of how common and how vast the white domestic terrorism was in America. And to think that just this year in the history of America is where we finally took off the distorted nostalgia and said, we're going to create a landmark to honor these people. It was interesting walking through these monuments and while seeing young African-American men who often were the victims of those crimes and still of police killings today, it was haunting as they start on the level ground but then they slowly begin raising towards the ceiling as the excruciating process of lynching often was. As you just walk through it, there's a feeling of both terror and respect that's hard to capture on video. Seeing that these lives that I see today back then were seen even in this massacre were 229 people were killed, a lot of them all on the same day, yet this is the first day that I heard about it. And so misremembering and disremembering often cast aside the stories of these fallen soldiers, a war they did not sign up for, but they just wanted, apparently had the audacity to want their humanity 
considered and respected. Some people being lynched for things as much as not returning a shovel and apparently that was worth their life. It is hard to take in but it is also important. It's important that we recognize that the veterans for peace and justice didn't all die overseas. Some died right here in a homeland that was not secure. Fighting a cause that their government supported or turned a blind eye to. Or even worse, erected monuments that celebrated and symbolized the mindset of the perpetrators of these crimes to remind the victims of the type of system they were living under. It's important that we remember them as they are and not through the lens of distorted nostalgia. It's important that we recognize that this process didn't end, it simply evolved. And just like there are those in the past whose stories we don't know, there are people today, black security guards and police officers doing their job, or even stopping mass killings, but killed as if they were the perpetrator. Here we see two young black boys reading something that was illegal during slavery and something that could have ended them up in one of the tombs that they now observe. And we still face today a education system that lynches the future of black minds. What are we going to do in the face of that? Or a system that views some of these children as a threat, as automatically suspicious? How often do we lynch their dignity? How often when they are approached by the government are they met with the same suspicion and violence? We must not forget them. We must say their names and not let them be lost in distorted nostalgia. So heavy, I mean, how y'all feeling after that? It's really hard. I mean, just to imagine that these, just the magnitude of it in one place really makes you look into the reality of the past of America and even how that has passed through generationally. I mean, Brian Stevenson uh, does a great job of also looking at the Legacy Museum where it, talks, where it tracks from from slavery to uh, least convict system to mass incarceration to Jim Crow uh, and right in the mass incarceration. It really helps you to really look into the mirror of America and seeing how commonplace such terrorism was. And um, though people may not have been had their bodies lynched, having their dignity lynched under Jim Crow and how terrible that was. and. Uh, 
one thing that I meant to say earlier is that when I was preaching the sermon about you are already clean, it talks about uh, how we talked about the second baptism. Uh, saying that you don't have to be baptized into whiteness because of the design God has given you. It's already good. It's already clean. Um, and so I, I preached the sermon to a room of African Americans and I had an old, a older lady come up who just in tears was talking about how just living through <clears throat> the embarrassment of Jim Crow is something that uh, uh, just she had to pray through and really just receive healing from. I talked to a guy who was born in the 1930s and it's him saying, man, I could have used that sermon uh, 40 years ago and talking about all the jobs that he turned got turned down for and just out of racism and just the 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 hurdles that he faced and him saying I knew they were wrong about me and feeling that being from them. then I met someone who was born in the 60s and her saying how long is a boy gonna be a boy what, what point does a boy become a man and talking about her experience of this through America then I met a young uh, lady there who came up in tears and saying that yes like the the images of like being of white being the standard of beauty have wrapped my soul so much and just her really wanting healing from that and i got to go to a screening called the hate you give that uh one of my co-workers put on and what was powerful to me is that she saw the same generational testament of what america has meant you saw um a young lady um, there, teenager in high school, saying, you know, the gun violence and how she could just relate to everything in the movie from the gun violence, to the police brutality, to the low expectations and just the pressures that she felt. And then her grandmother stood up and said, it's, I feel so hurt that my granddaughter is going through the same things that I went through. Then we had a, 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 a young uh, lady who stood up and said, you know what, I, I've I've been feeling this pressure too and I'm a teacher and I've been feeling this and sometimes when I look in the back seat at my African American son I say have I done something wrong by bringing this child into this world uh, that hates him just for the skin that he is in and seeing um, America's reaction to the living embodiment of the truth against it and the terrorism that has happened that has occurred um, that you know has not given any answer to. We talked about this when we talk about um, uh, 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 the divisive origins of whiteness. How we talk about the, the the caste system of America and how it talks about how when a, a black person or a person of color commits a crime, how there'll be laws and new branches of government and all these things to remedy it. But what has been the answer to white domestic terrorism? that we see um, uh, the fact that the president had to be dragged to make a statement against what happened in, in, in Charlottesville or even with these pipe bombings and, and, and the person and there's a, this disconnection between this, this this distorted nostalgia and this violence. W.E.B. Du Bois talked about that in The Souls of White Folk where he was talking about the process of how uh, racism corrupts the soul of the of the of the white person and so uh, in this distorted nostalgia and this and so even now sometimes people even wish oh I wish we we're back in the days of Bush and all those other types of things when you think about the foreign policy of America and what does it meant across the world um, the Bush presidency uh, is one of those things where you can see this mix of nostalgia with this violence and um, I'm just gonna give so a quick clip I, when I was in Dallas 
I actually got to go to the Presidential Library for George W. Bush. And um, the reason I was going there is because during his time with the um, terrorism that was going on, when terrorism hit America, for some people feeling like the first time, all right, so a lot of times under his presidency is when terrorism first hit America, like in the mainstream is what people say. When you think about what we saw at the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, uh, and he's a very uh, compelling book called Lynching in America, uh, confronting the legacy of racial terror, and it just talks about the the uh, how 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 frequent it is. Um, he has this 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 chart um, that says uh, African American lynching victims by Southern states, 1877 to 1950. Alabama, 361. Arkansas, 492 people lynched. Florida, 311. Georgia, 589. Kentucky, 168. Louisiana, 549. Mississippi, 654. Texas, 335. And the list goes on. I mean, we're talking about, you all can't see this this far back, but uh, it's, it goes from the most uh, active counties in, in, uh, uh, in lynching. It just talks about this, this uh, terrorism that happened far before uh, the Bush presidency. And you'll see uh, in the video here how Bush, you know, as soon as the terrorism happened, you know, he's starts Department of Homeland Security. And, but this homeland has not been secure for Native Americans, African Americans, way before that. But with this distorted nostalgia, without the truth telling, without the narrative change that needs to be happening, you can also go into nostalgia and, st and start to miss, as we talked about in NIMBY, that the lore of not in my backyard is that it uh, demonizes those outside your friends, but it also makes you blind to the very uh, uh, demons that lie right in your home vicinity. And for a while, it has not been an answer to this. Uh, and so we're going to take a look at my experience at the presidential library for George W. Bush, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the strangely familiar. I was in Dallas and traveling and I thought, hey, why not visit the George W. Bush Presidential Library? Had some time to kill. And so here is the Presidential Library that chronicles the legacy of George W. Bush. It was Christmas here at the um, library, so they had all the decorations up. I always find it interesting that during Christmas that celebrates the tells the story of a different family, a family that was under the pressure of its government that had to flee oppressive leaders vying to keep their power in place. And as I saw this, another group of leaders vying for power, often wondered what the life of Jesus would have been like the center of this holiday under the types of, I guess, mentalities and things perpetuated in America and even under this presidency. Well, not Lincoln. I like him. Here in the most powerful room in, some would say, in the world, or at least a pretty good replica of it, I was thinking, 
what was Christmas or the central figure of Christmas's experience be like in the USA? Now, Bush was known for someone being a person of faith and hear him saying that this brown Palestinian savior of the world changed his life forever, yet his policies changed forever the region of the world that Jesus came from. So here you see, you know, the importance of treating each individual as equal and equally important. And that being the legacy that it kind of runs through the museum. Uh, this American story, true for some and yet to be totally true for others, uh, is some of this striving that is seen. Yet, some things 18, 18 years ago seem very true today as you look at the recount we just had in Florida. Uh, this charge to keep still doesn't seem fully kept. As you see this No Child Left Behind in education reform, it's still uh, something that we face today and some say maybe even took a focus on SOLs. And here we see this doctrine of security in the face of terrorism. And as getting fresh from Alabama, I often wondered where was the homeland security for the people that were lynched? Where's the homeland security who do not fit into the stereotypical mold of American and the stereotypical mold of terrorism as we've seen pipe bombs and shootings? Who's defending the homeland for them? That is a question that surged through my mind. Human choices do indeed move events, but what we choose to honor and who we choose to honor versus who we choose to ignore. There was no branch of government built for those who suffered white domestic terrorism. What was freedom for them then? And do we have freedom today? Liberty is indeed the right and hope of all humanity. But do some people get lost in the awe? Is it not quite specific enough for them yet? Are they free to correct the narrative of nostalgia? Or are they forgotten in it? Having the moral courage to look into the truth of America is a charge we all have to keep. All right, and so there you have it. And so, you know, again, you don't react to something that you ignore. Or maybe ignoring actually is the reaction. So we're talking about misremembering, we're talking about disremembering. Uh, and so, again, you saw the reaction that a person got to terrorism. If you're wondering, like, what, how, how would America respond to terrorism today? Or even a legacy of terrorism. Uh, I want to bring you to this section that you all know and love. It's called Do Better Baby. Now, today's Do Better Baby recipient is none other than uh, Mississippi candidate for Congress, uh, Hyde Smith, right? So Mrs. Uh, Hyde Smith here, uh, she is in Mississippi. Now Mississippi was the deadliest 
And if you saw in the video there, you could see that when some slates were empty, Mississippi often was full of names of lynch victims and being some of the deadliest places to live in their history of lynching. Now, she got an endorsement from someone and she, in this video, which I'm sure you guys have seen, she says, well, if this person invited me to a public hanging, I'd want a front row seat. Now, Mississippi, known for its domestic terrorism and the chief, the chief offender, the chief offender uh, in, in states with the most amount uh, of lynching, where again, out of the 4,084 um, victims, Mississippi was number one with 654, okay, uh, lynchings. Um, all throughout all different counties, LaFleur, Carroll, Kemper, Hens, Lones, Yazoo, Lauderdale, any, any, any of the counties, all of them pretty much have uh, 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 a legacy of this. For her to make light and say that she would want to attend a public hanging and, that hanging and that she would want a front row seat, and she is running against an African-American, Mike Espy, right now. They're going to have a runoff election in a couple of days. I think it's on, on, on Monday or Tuesday. Very real. Uh, and then when she was confronted with this, uh, she said, you know, well, if anyone was offended, I, I, you know, uh, uh, it's not what, that's not what I meant, you know. She's saying, she said what she said, and if you felt offended, I'm sorry you felt offended, but I said what I said. And so then in a press conference, she's with another, I believe the, the I think it's the governor that's there, um, uh, is uh, then the media saying, hey, well, in light of Mississippi's history of pretty much terrorism against black people, do you change your statement? She said, I made a statement, I said what I said, but here's what it thinks. She's standing in front of the Mississippi flag, which has... The Confederate symbol right on it. Uh, and so here she is, has this distorted nostalgia. She takes pictures with a gun and a Confederate uh, hat. Um, and then the governor says, well, I don't hear people talking about abortion and all the other types of things and de deflecting these types of, of things. And, 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 and here she is on the cusp of staying in seat of power, saying these things, the same types of things that uh, 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 you know, the racist robocalls that uh, DeSantis ran and, um, you know, and she's getting donations from white supremacists. And so I got to say, do better, baby. If you want to be a leader in a, in, 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 of a community, you've got to know uh, the, the, the devils of that community that you have encountered in the past and you have to have the courage the moral courage to be a truth teller and because of her lack of wanting to do that Hyde Smith you get the do better baby and so uh and now some of you may say well dang well uh yeah that's it's sometimes with things like that it's very easy to say obviously we're missing the mark but it's a very interesting um, line that uh, Brian Stevenson runs from the National 
Memorial of Peace and Justice to the Legacy Museum that talks about how we too uh, who are blind to what's happening with the death penalty and mass incarceration, we may be, as Dr. King warned, sleeping through a revolution. Uh, where we are, due to being sedated by success that Thurgood Marshall talks about, or saying we're at least we're not as bad as we used to be, we still can have this also distorted nostalgia that ignores the present suffering, the present connections to what we have been seeing here uh, in America. And so um, I have had the uh, privilege to interview a man by the name of Gary Randall in, uh, when I was in Fort Worth, Texas. And he's a very interesting individual in all of this because Mr. Randall, uh, his family actually fled the domestic terrorism in Oklahoma uh, back in the days of lynching. His, 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 his parents did. And so he they fled. Uh, he grew up, um, you know, growing up uh, uh, in Texas, uh, decided to enter law enforcement. Uh, because of him seeing how connected the uh, law enforcement was with lynching, he wanted to make a change there. And so he's on the force for years, and then it's when he suddenly decides to uh, have an encounter with uh, mass incarceration as a police officer, actually visiting a prison. It's interesting to see how this changed the trajectory of his life, and he's a good example of instead of relying on distorted nostalgia, what transformation we can have when we actually embrace the truth, even the truth that incriminates us. This is a segment we're gonna call A Difference in Conversation with Gary Randall. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm here with A Difference in Thought here in Fort Worth, Texas, with Mr. Gary Randall here. Uh, and as you know, the episode name is This Is America, Truth-Telling in the Age of Nostalgia. Now, in recent uh, events, we have seen uh, pipe bombers sending bombs in the mail to uh, black senators. We had the unfortunate incident of the shooting uh, for a Tree of Life synagogue. And then in Kentucky, we had a uh, white man come and, and who attempted to shoot a church, actually, but because it was locked, they came. They then he went then went to a Kroger and killed two um, African Americans there. And as the news goes on, and I'm sure you've probably seen this before yes. too, that a lot of times the narrative that kind of goes is this is not America, is as if uh, this somehow is a blip in the system of how America has been, as if this has been the exception instead of the rule. But a lot of times, as far as you know, uh, the narrative of America's actual history of violence actually is not new, and it actually is. Uh, uh, violence is actually quite American in its origins. For those who listen to the podcast, and I was telling you about this book earlier, it's called uh, The Irony of American History mm -hmm. by Reinhold Niebuhr. Mm -hmm. uh, and for those who don't know him, he actually uh, wrote The Prayer of Serendipity. Uh, and for those who know hip hop, Eminem says it, it in the beginning of one of his songs very famously. But uh, Reinhold Niebuhr says that actually America is uh, has always been quite violent. And it hasn't been that different than any other uh, country that pretty much uh, cleared out different people. And so when you think about Native Americans, and, <laughs> right, exactly, right? It's, it's pretty pretty much uh, the, the ethnic cleansing that kind of came back there and the violent assimilation that took place uh, as well. And then you look at slavery and, and the history of lynching. And I, um, as you'll see later on in the podcast, um, 
actually uh, on Saturday ventured to Alabama on like a 12-hour bus trip mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to go to Brian Stevenson's um, uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which uh, does a good job of honoring the people that went through uh, lynching and uh, uh, terrorism, domestic terrorism, at the hands of the South uh, after the Civil War. Um, and a lot of times, uh, part of the lost cause that Confederates did was uh, changing the textbooks that changed this right. narrative that that didn't talk about the evil of America's original sin and became more about northern aggression or about the economy. But uh, at what point do people get to talk about uh, southern aggression, yeah, right, yeah. against 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 that? And uh, I remember you were talking about that. That was uh, something that your family experienced in, mm-hmm. in, in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And if you would uh, t- uh, tell us about that. And also, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, this is Mr. Gary Randall. My name here. is Gary Randall. Right. And... Um, I am the co-founder of Hope Farm, and Hope Farm is a ministry, is a ministry that works with inner-city boys who don't have their fathers in their life, and mm-hmm. we teach those boys how to be men. We start, we started with them at the age of five, and so that was a, a call of God in my life. And so now I'm retired and I'm transitioning, and um, and so we're just seeing what what um, God has for me. And so, um, Alan sat down and talked to us, and we talked about the the oppression of Jim Crow. Mm. Jim Crow was more intense than slavery, mm. because Jim Crow assaulted, you know, um, black people just for the sake of them being black. Mm. And so, you know, there was nothing for a black man to get lynched. Mm. Several things that could cause him to get lynched for mm. looking at a white woman. Yeah. Or saying something to a white woman that was deemed as flirtatious. Mm. And um, and that was an, uh, the, an offense to get hanged. Mm. And, and the law enforcement, would they would arrest you, but what they would do, just hold you mm. until, the, until the mob came and hung mm. you. Wow. And so it was... Um, um, a participatory environment. And so one of the things that my parents had to do is they had to leave Oklahoma and Texas to get away from Jim Crow hmm. wow. and get get away from the violence that associated itself with that mentality hmm. of um, black but un- unequal. Hmm. And, um, and they took down vengeance on black people just arbitrarily hmm. just hung people who said something that they didn't like mm. yeah and that's part of the uh as they call it the great migration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and the the history of that and and an interesting uh through line we're talking about uh that um now i i knew that a lot of times that uh police I think I, at, at the exhibit it said about only 1% of lynchings actually were investigated and, mm-hmm. and prosecuted. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't familiar with how um, complicit police systems mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. in lynching. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of times um, the current um, killings today, like for example, the example of uh, Mike Brown when he mm-hmm. was killed by mm-hmm. Officer Darren Wilson. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that Darren Wilson was, was in Ferguson because his, his prior police department, Jennings Police Department, was shut down because of just uh, civil rights uh, uh, abuses and police right. brutality. Right. And so um, this through line of, of lynching with uh, police brutality, um, 
some some try and say that that's an exaggeration, but as you said, that it, it's 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 not as uh, it's not because mm-hmm. because a a lot of officers come to um, these major cities and they live in the surrounding cities mm. and they want to come in and they want to work where the action is mm. and what the action is is usually the African American community mm. so they come in and they they're not police officers mm. they become cops mm. they become um want to control people's life and if you step out of line mm. then they will take full advantage of you and they will mm. violate your civil rights mm. and in the, the tragedy in law enforcement you know um being a a black officer mm. in a in a white department is very very difficult because the reality there is a, a blue code mm. And if you step outside the blue code, you become ostracized in your environment, then you become ostracized in your home environment. Right. So it's really tough to right. to um, to exist right. being uh, African American in um, in a very racist department. Hmm. Right. And for for our listeners that don't know, and so you you actually I was a police officer for fifteen years. Uh huh. All right. So mm-hmm. tell us more about that experience when you were assigned to that. Because I I always noticed, and uh, there was um, actually this weekend a security officer was actually shot by police. Mm-hmm. A black security officer who actually stopped the shooting was then shot by police. And um, a lot of times, actually in Baltimore, there was a, a a person that was a black officer that was murdered by the name of Sean Souter. A couple of days before you're supposed to testify against his police department, uh, and so there, there's this Blue Lives Matter group, and then there's this, the Black Lives Matter group. But if you're if you're black and you take off the blue, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Then you're still, you're black. <laughs> right, right. So tell us more about your your, your experiences. You know, you know, one of the things that happened, you know, when I uh, was a police officer, one of the things that was taught to us mm. that your weapon becomes your last line of defense. Mm. Once you pull your weapon, then you have no other alternatives. Wow. But what happens in the minority community, you have white officers who come in with a Rambo, mm. um, gung-ho, mm. fix them right, make America great. Mm. And they use the weapon as their first line of defense. And mm. once you pull your weapon, you don't have any options. Mm. You either use it or, or you right. put it back in your holster. Right. And so that negates the force that you want to exhibit. Right. And so, um, you know, and so we were taught that, that, you know, your weapon is your last line of defense. And it was drummed into us in the academy. But... It wasn't accepted by a lot of white officers who came through the academy because mm-hmm. they came in the academy with a fixed ideal is that they were going to set the minority community straight. They mm-hmm. were going to enforce the law. Mm-hmm. And enforcing the law, they violated people's rights. Mm-hmm. And when um, you're, as an African-American officer, you observe... Um, them violating um, people's rights. So you're in a quandary. You know, do you Mm. pimp on your um, police officer um, cohort? Right. Or do you just shut up? And so one of the things that I think was important to to me 
And and the officers who worked with me knew my posture. My posture was to treat people like you wanted to be treated. Right. It didn't matter what race you were. Right. That was my posture in right. dealing with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 important to know the perspective uh, that people bring to to because there's the there's the conditions of police brutality, but there's also the conditioning of of. Uh, fear of saying just just even just black presence mm-hmm. somehow being mm-hmm. uh illegal or suspicious mm-hmm. right and so if people carry that uh feeling of being threatened because they've been conditioned by a, by a racist society right and so d- during your time was there ever any type of bias trait or, or even just saying like the, the way you've been conditioned to think might not be correct or even useful when you go into these neighborhoods well you know the the some of the things that 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 I observed as an officer, hmm. I observed them violating people's rights and 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 that wouldn't be done in the majority community. Hmm. It was done in the minority community and it's just the way that they treated people and the and the, hmm. and the even the arrest of a person hmm. you know sometimes people would violate the crime sometimes people need to be arrested right. but there was a certain way that you arrest the people right you you know um when i executed an arrest i i would just tell people you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way right. you choose right and most every time people chose to do it the easy way right and so you know it has a lot to do with the officer's mentality right how he mm. interface with people and like i said the important thing that you have to do is you have to treat people like you want to be treated right yeah i had a powerful interview with um uh back back in richmond uh, officer carol adams she's head of the community care unit and mm-hmm. she actually saw um that uh she just needed to to have give officers opportunities to get to know people mm-hmm, beyond mm-hmm. when it's time to get arrested mm-hmm, and things like mm-hmm. that and just uh even her 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 own story um was was very powerful and um just admire that that what you brought and so when you were talking about uh uh setting people straight and the whole law and order uh even uh warren warren and so we were, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday uh how i was talking about there has to be a difference between um, not so racial reconciliation is cool, right? But mm-hmm. also thinking about justice expansion because uh, white society knows how to be just to its own, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we were talking about how the difference between um, the 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 crack, cocaine, and drug epidemic being known as getting a war on drugs from Nixon, mm-hmm. but now it's uh, even in my hotel room last night. I was watching it was this Malibu passages, and it mm-hmm. looked like a vacation home. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, this guy's like, "I was addicted for ten years, but I go to Malibu." And, you know, so I smoke crack. <laughs> right. and- or I shot up Heron, right. and they are perceived as victims who right. get addicted. Right. And in their addiction, mm-hmm. they need rehab. Right. But the rehab for African Americans is called prison. Mm. Yeah. And there's no such thing as rehab. Right. And it, it's called recidivism. It's, mm. it's the, they're geared to come back. Right. Yeah, they geared to come back. Yeah, uh, I was. I remember we were talking with your wife yesterday, and she told a very powerful story about. Um, uh, and maybe you can expand on it. She was talking about 
person who found four generations uh, of his, uh, like his father and grandfather in prison mm -hmm. uh, versus uh, mm -hmm. white counterparts who knew where the institution, where their family met, mm -hmm. was actually mm -hmm. colleges and mm -hmm. so it's a disparity prison. So let's, let's talk about, um, so for your inspiration of Hope Farm, talk about how um, a visit to prison and really understanding that and as you learn more about the percentage of the population versus who's in there, um, how that deeply impacted you. And, you know, the, the thing that just staggered me, I, I went into the prison with a, with a group from a church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, when I signed up to go into the prison, mm -hmm. I signed up and I was a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that someone in prison is going to recognize me. There was going to be some drama on the yard. Mm -hmm. And I started to call my wife and have her come and pick me up and I was one I wasn't gonna go. Right. Hmm. But God wanted me to stay. Yeah. I stayed on the on the bus hmm. and um my mind was flooded with the possibility of conflict or someone recognizing me. Hmm. But when I saw the prison, hmm. my whiteboard was wiped clean. Hmm. When I saw the the three rows of side conference with Constantine wire on the top mm. and the huge walls and the enormous gates. Um, I went into prison and I was interfacing with people and just kind of just kicking it with them because there was mainly black people. Yeah. I was just, just kicking with them. Did you know, like uh, it was almost like a, a family reunion. Yeah. Mm. And, um, I asked the director, I said, tell me about the penal population. Yeah. He looked at me and he didn't flinch. Mm. He said that the penal population is 80% African American. Mm. I said, what? Yeah. He said, 80%. Eight, zero. <laughs> and we were just 12% of the population? Wow. 80%. Right. Of the population in prison, right. I knew that there was a mm. dead monkey yeah. on the lion's back. Yeah. There was something that wasn't right. right. And when I was in the prison, there was a young guy who befriended me, and he just kind of followed me around. Right. He was 19 years old, and mm. he had a 20-year sentence. Wow. So you do the math. Right. Yeah. 20 yeah. years old. Uh, 19 yeah. and 20 years. Right. So he... 39 comes out of 39. Wow. Maybe. Maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe. And and so um, um, when our prison visit for the day was over, hmm. um, we were on the bus and some guys jumped on the bus and they said that the ladies had prepared food for us. Hmm. And I thought food I couldn't even eat. Mm. I went back to my hotel room and I mm. just closed the door and I just dropped on my knees mm. and I start um, crying out to God. And yeah. I said, God, I'm available for you to use me whatever right. where you want to use me. Right. I'll, I'll work in the prison. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Right. And God made it clear to me that he didn't want me working in the prison. Right. He wanted me working, keeping them out the prison. Right. Yeah. So that's when we started whole farm and start targeting boys who right. were five. Wow. Yeah. And so we learned that it's easier to prepare than right. it is to repair. Right. That's right. Yeah. As Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to, 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 to teach a teach a boy than to uh, 
uh, correct the man, mm-hmm. right? Say you mm-hmm. too. So, so how long was it as that you worked as a police officer before you actually visited a prison? Like, I, I, I was a police officer, um, probably. That was probably my tenth year. I, you wow. know, I was a police officer for fifteen. Wow. And um, like my tenth year in law enforcement, um, um, we got the challenge at church, and the hmm. guy came to church and he wow. challenged the men in church. Yeah. And after he made his challenge for the men to come into the prison, all the brothers, I, I go to an African-American yeah. church, yeah. all the brothers were sitting around like, shoot, I ain't going to no prison. Mm. I have been spending all my life trying to stay out of prison. Right, right, yeah. And I felt compelled yeah. to, to go. Yeah, that's... A lot of times Jesus asks us to do things for our behalf like when he talks about him at the 25 i was in prison and you visited mm-hmm. me um i think there is uh something that happens to your spirit when you see injustice <laughs> right um and uh so was that common for police officers not to go to prison oh like, absolutely you know oh, like i said like i said you know that the, the thought that came up in my mind that someone would recognize me oh, as a cop. I got you. And so I would be a policeman in a yard with guys who are in there because right. Right. of police. Hmm. But that also, but that that fear, though, it's, you're very valid, like, hey, something might happen. But um, how do you think it would change the mentality of police officers if they went more often? You know, I, I think what they would do is stop arresting statistics and mm. and recognize that these are people right that 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 has that have value people right. who can um, become productive members of society right. you know one of the things that is so devastating is once a guy goes into prison mm. he gets a felony mm. and once you get a felony mm. you can't do anything right you become permanently mm. underclassed. Yeah. The same thing. That's Jim Crow all right. over again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And hmm. and and the system is um, designed to cause you to come back. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I had a, I was having lunch with a a guy that I know, and he worked for a organization and he worked for the holdings of that organization and and he told me that the the, the principal entity didn't make any money yeah. and i looked at him and said well, they're not making any money I, and he said no and i asked him i said well where are they making their money mm-hmm. he said they're making their money with prison commissaries mm-hmm. Because if you go into prison, mm. if you want something, then you know you gotta afford it. You right. know, a piece of pizza, uh, a pizza is like right. three hundred dollars. Mm. A cigarette, mm. it's five dollars. Wow, for one, it's yeah, it's <laughs> you know what? Yeah, there's no rules. Right. Yeah. There's no That's competition. Right. right. Yeah. You, if you want it, you pay for it. Mm. And what people do is they put money on their loved one's books 
and they know that they got money and they get that money. Wow. Wow. So somebody could approve money going through for somebody's books and they could go to that person mm-hmm. and sell them something for any type of crazy price. Yeah. Wow. And so it's that it's still that um, uh, American principle that there's nothing more divine than profit, right? Money. If it may, money yeah. is their God. Right. W.E.B. Du Bois talks about this and he talks about um, it's in his uh, uh, essay called The Souls of White Folk and he talks about um, that the disdain for black people, the abuse of black people um, continues in America as long as it profits, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that whole uh, for the reason why, why uh, you know, the love of money being the root of all sorts of evil um, is still very much the cause of that uh, violence that we see today. Absolutely. So, uh, now, W.E.B. Du Bois also said that in light of all of my learning, right, and, and, and discovering and doing my research and all the awareness of that, what am I going to do? So, um, let's, let's talk some more about, um, so your transition from that, that night where you're crying out and saying, what am I to do? Mm-hmm. And then Hope Farm. So mm-hmm. tell us more about mm-hmm. Hope Farm. Well, Hope Farm is a, a program that, um, that started to um, impact the lives of, of, of inner city children. Hmm. But when we first started it, we thought that we would um, take kids from the Child Protective Service System and, hmm. and raise them in a rural environment. Hmm. But um, the heavens were made on arms. Hmm. Nothing happened. Hmm. But when we change the location but remain right. the same vision, right. uh, we moved to the inner city and it was a cloudburst. Yeah. And um and then we um started um by acquiring a crack house and we hmm. turned the crack house into hmm. a uh, after school program. Wow. An after school program for single parent Boys, boys who are being raised by a single mom, right? Um, and there's millions and millions of them. And mm. so what we did was we started mentoring those boys and holding those boys accountable, mm. and um, and 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 giving the boys structure because every kid wants to be able to fill the walls. Mm. They want to be able to fill the walls, and so right. we gave them structure. We we gave them accountability folders that right. the teachers signed off of their, wow. for their behavior right. and it was just amazing how their life changed yeah. and I had boys who started with me at five that are now grown men wow 25 and 26 years old yeah. men men who are pastors men who wow. are God's using them to change their life. But yeah. the important thing about Hope Farm is mm-hmm. we did this, but we we were reaching out to these boys, but we wanted to impact these boys right. spiritually. Right. I had a dream or I had mm-hmm. a vision. I don't know exactly what it is, right. but I was standing mm-hmm. and the boys were descending, passing me, and they got mm-hmm. right in my face. Mm-hmm. And they said, how come you didn't tell me about Jesus? Mm. I said, whoa, I woke up from that. And wow. I said, that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of things you can recover right. from. You can recover from being fatherless. You can yeah. recover from being homeless. Yeah. You can re- even recover from being a drug addict. Yeah. But there's no recovery mm. f- from dying without having Christ in your life. Right, yeah. Hell has no exits. Right, yeah. Yeah. 
So that was that was primary. Right. And the peripheral thing was develop them as a a complete man, addressing right. spirit, mind, and body. Right. So, so tell me about also, uh, you were telling me yesterday about the transition of where you were impacting boys holistically, but then you were thinking holistically more about the family as well, mm -hmm. when your daughter mm -hmm. came on one mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened with that vision. My daughter came and she worked for me, and she came into my office and she said, Dad, you don't know anything about these mothers. Hmm. And I looked at her and I said, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I got, I'm married to one that I don't know anything about. I'm married to one who, who, who you know, that I, I love dearly, but it just changes. Stuff changes, you right. know. And women change the rules of the game. Right. And when you get one rule down, then the, and the rules are changed. You're like, oh, <laughs> am I to do this or am I not to do this? Right. And so she says, Dad, you don't understand these women. And what you don't understand is this, that all these women who are here have experienced negative treatment by the hands of a man. Mm. Some of them have been sexually abused, some mm. of them have been physically abused, mm. some of them have been raped, mm. some of them have, you know, experienced incest, right. and it's all at the hand of a man and right. you're telling them to trust you right. they don't trust you mm. so what she did she wrote a program mm. and the program was where she brought in she wrote a program for the moms to how to help make them whole right. and in and, and, and the program it was a job description for a mom's resource coordinator who was mm. a, a single mom yeah. who had raised her children and who were responsive to the issues of womanhood. Mm. Yeah. So what we learned to do was to impact not just the boy, but to impact the whole environment. Right. Yeah. And, and what we use to to impact that whole environment was the gospel. Yeah. Because in Ezekiel twenty six thirty six, he talks about, I will take out your heart of stone mm. and give you a heart of flesh. Right. We, we're interested in heart surgery. Right. We can't do it, but yeah. Christ can. Right. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that all revolution is first internal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 personal transformation, and that is the, the power of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. the paraclete that comes alongside mm -hmm. us and mm -hmm. helps us to, 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 to generate a, a, a new process. Um, so, so I remember a story that you guys were talking about yesterday where you were talking to one of the mothers and you had asked them and I think she was hesitant on whether to let her son be involved and you were saying would you would you let another woman date your son right? yeah, or something yeah. that one of the things that you know the moms would um come in and they would try to get their sons in the program right and they would come and they would have their quote Sunday shoes on they, right. they had their best behavior and and they were very prim and proper and you know, talking about their sons, mm -hmm. and I would let them talk right. to a certain point, mm -hmm. and then I would stop them. I said, "Ma'am, uh, in light of what you told me about your son, right. would you marry him?" <laughs> right. And they would look at me. Mm -hmm. Not one mom in all the years mm -hmm. I've done done this. I've done this for twenty five. Mm -hmm. Not one mom was able to say, "Yes, I would marry my son." Right. 
because they knew that they had some issues that needed to be developed. Right. And they they needed to be brought into manhood. They needed right. to be taught how to be a man. And you know, when I am, right. and I go out and I speak to people and I talk to groups and right. and I tell them this illustration, I said, have you ever put together a Ravel model car? Hmm. And, and, and they would raise their hand and say, yes. I said, well, you t please tell me what is the most important part in that, pa in that package. Right. Some people said the glue. <laughs> Some people say the, the pieces. Mm. Some people would even say the instruction. Mm. And I would tell them, I said, yes. Those things are important, but they're not the most important. Mm -hmm. The most important piece in that package mm. is the picture on the box. Mm. Wow. Right. Because it shows you how to complete this model correctly. Wow. This is, it shows you what it's supposed to look, look like. like. Right. And so wow. what we mm. were able to do right. for these young boys is to be the picture on the box. Wow. That's powerful right there. So just, just, just imagining and and for and for the listeners that that uh, want to get engaged um understanding that and like you said the stigma that we place on people right mm -hmm. the stigma we play mm -hmm. on prison and that mm -hmm. as you as you move closer and as mm -hmm. you move closer and jesus always marched toward the people yes. that were on the margins yes. the, the samaritan woman at the well who said oh you can't you can't worship because you're samaritan or, or touching the lepers and and, and finding value in those people um Saying that a lot of the people that we discount, right, and even the scriptures say without vision people perish, right, mm -hmm. um, that it could be that these people have all the pieces that, it, you know, that, that we have, except mm -hmm. the only difference is what image they've had. Uh, right. Uh, uh, that's very powerful. And, and, and even, you know, just as African-American men that, like, we can't let um, uh, the first time that people are surrounded in the multitudes of men be... In a situation like prison, right? Um, uh, yeah. So the images are 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 very important. So one one thing that um, we I like to talk about on my on my podcast and for listeners is is talking about the importance of uh, unity and collaboration with other people and how God doesn't call us to, to do things within silos. Mm -hmm. So though God may speak to us initially, mm -hmm. he always adds people into our stream mm -hmm. of, of, of revolution that we're mm -hmm. having. So tell me about the people, um, that you collaborated with and that were sent to come alongside you to help, uh, push that vision towards and why, why it's important to, um, uh, collaborate in any work that Absolutely. God gives you. Yeah. You know, in a relationship, you're always going to have two sides. I, my mother used to tell me, she said, son, it's a poor pancake that ain't flat on both sides. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you have one side right. and you see certain things, but there's a side of you that don't see. You have a blind side. Right. So the first and the most important person who God sent to collaborate with me right. is my wife. Hmm. My wife had my blind spots. Hmm. And then gave me a partner who was opposite of me. He mm. was a cross the T and dot the I person. Mm. I was the visionary. Right. Yeah. And then brought me a, a administrative assistant that is so diligent. There's not a, a thing that could be bought mm. without bringing her a receipt. Right. She <laughs> was just, just very, very, right. very exact. 
Right. And, you know, and, and brought people alongside who understand that in order to uh, move this issue, it had to be pushed. Hmm. It wasn't going to move by itself. Right. And so people came along with skills and resources and money yeah. to, to cause the thing to, um, to occur. And one of the things that, that was instrumental, that I, I, I was a firm believer, and I had a man who mentored me that believed in um, not taking any money from the government. Hmm. because of the strings that were attached. So hmm. this was all done by um, um, individuals and foundations. Hmm. And, and Hope Farm was cash, hmm. cash and carry. You know, the, everything that at the farm was paid for. Hmm. And, and, I, and, I, and I say this, and I want to say this to your audience, right. that money... Mm. never has and money never will be mm. an issue with God. Mm. God's got plenty money. Right. Plenty money. But what you got to do mm. is line your life up with his. Mm. His, your will has to become his will. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you connect to all the resources that he has. That's right. Because God finances his will. <laughs> right. <laughs> he ain't going to finance yours. He finance his. Right, right. You right. know, one of the things mm. that, I, that I did in the, the, the Fort Worth Police Department, I was asked to become an instructor. Right. And I was asked to teach cultural diversity. Oh, wow. In, huh. a, in a very, very racist department. Oh, and yeah, I, tell us about that. And, yeah. I, and I, huh. I taught cultural diversity. Right. And uh, the, the, the foundation that I used was right. John 4. Hmm. Jesus at the well. Hmm. Jesus would not let his culture hmm. supersede his commitment to him, to Christ. Right. Culture must always take second place. Right. You know, I'm not a black Christian. Hmm. I'm a Christian. Right. I, you know, I, I am a Christian hmm. who happens to be black. Right. Yeah. You know, my Christianity has to take first place hmm. because he's not going to take any other place. Right. So once I put that first, right. then my culture becomes powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes powerful. Right. I become an instrument that God uses within my culture. Right. Yeah. And and I and so talking about like culture and Christianity and um there are problems that occur mm -hmm. when people try to take their faith to uh meet out the wills and uh, mm -hmm. conditioning of their culture. Mm -hmm. I think of the story of James and John mm -hmm. when they're coming through Samaria. And so Jesus said, hey, if somebody's not down to listen, shake the sandals off, God will handle it. Mm -hmm. But when they come through Samaria, mm -hmm. who they were conditioned to think is less than, mm -hmm. they say, oh, hey, they didn't listen. Let's call down fire, right? <laughs> and Jesus says, you're not familiar with the spirit in which you operate yeah, yeah. because um, and this is very much true in America that a lot of the violence that was enacted upon is because people thought that, uh, well, first of all, they made Jesus white, which, mm -hmm. which <laughs> isn't true. Mm -hmm. But, but they, they, they centered and, and wanted to make their culture supreme, their culture worship, and to make other people in the image of their culture. And when they didn't, 
cooperate, then that's when things became uh, became violent. You know, one of the things that I I taught in the class is that it's important it's important that a person put someone else down in order to step up. Mm. Right. You know, you make someone less so that you become greater. Right. And that's 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 wrong. Yeah. That's wrong. The way that you become greater is mm. by becoming less. Right. Yeah. And and you know, you have to put people down in order to step up. Right. And so, you know, one of the things I told them I, I would take my hand like the end of the course and I would take mm. get a penny. Yeah. And I would put it in the middle of my hand and said racism not only keeps things in mm. but it keeps things from getting out. Yeah. It limits you. Right. If you're racist, you're limited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. I mean, um, Whitney Young talks about this in his book that's out of print uh, called um, To Be Equal. He talks about the problem with racism is is that, um, especially in the American context, mm -hmm. is that um, if you are raised under white supremacy, right, mm -hmm. you're eventually going to find out that the world ain't white, the world is brown. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be able to operate in those things. And, and, and in Ephesians 4, where it talks about diversity leading to maturity, mm -hmm. that it's, it's some and some and some. And so... Um, uh, and, and as you were saying, like, uh, um, you're not a, a, a black Christian. That's not to say that there's something wrong with no, being black. No, no, no. no. It's, it's just, it's, it's saying that uh, a black is part of the tapestry of humanity, but yes. it's not the entire. Yes. The entire. And, and what I was seeing right. is my faith right. in Christ right. must be greater than my faith in my culture. Right. Yeah. Say that again. Ooh, my faith in Christ must be greater than my faith in my culture. Yes. Could we imagine if, what if uh, people who use faith in America, right, to, to, and I always talk about that, so is, your, is your culture misleading your theology or yes. is your theology correcting your yes. culture? Yes. Imagine uh, what America would look like if people had more faith. Oh, it, would, it would change and, and, drastically. Right, right. Because a lot of times people will forsake the instruments of their faith, right? Because they don't know what it means for their culture, mm -hmm. right? And what people have done as misused mm -hmm. and misrepresented mm -hmm. scripture right. to fulfill mm -hmm. their self-philosophy about right. their race. Right, yeah. And that that's... that's um, like John the Baptist, when the, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him... Uh, uh, and and John says, uh, don't think because Abraham is your father yeah. that you don't have to repent, right? Uh, that you can just take off the lens of self-examination yeah. because yeah. of because they're being your father talking about their nation and talking about uh -huh. their their uh -huh. ethnicity. And uh -huh. so you see that in the book of Galatians where there's this tension between uh -huh. people who are not Jewish, but uh -huh. Jewish people were were saying uh -huh. we're, we're we're putting more faith in in their Jewish culture uh -huh. than in in, 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 in Christ in Christ. Yeah. And Apostle Paul said that's that's a that's a cursed thing, uh -huh. right? Because uh, not only is it just cursed for them, it's also cursed for people that they're acting upon because uh, Gentiles were coming in and saying like, oh man, is is the, the design that I've had less less yeah. in the image of God than another person? And so the importance the importance of that is very good. And it, wow, that's amazing that you. So how was that received? The the, the diversity training that you that you did. Well, like, you know, was, what happened to my class 
my class got taken by the state of uh, Texas. Hmm. And I don't know exactly what they did with it, but uh. people will start teaching it. Hmm. And the powerful thing about that is hmm. that I re released it um, graciously because it was based on John 4. Yeah. So um. it was based on unshakable truth. Right. It was yeah. based on the true truth. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and I know that the word of God mm. will not come back to him void without accomplishing what he, he intended for to accomplish. Be, right. Yeah. So it was it was my privilege to release the truth. Yeah. And and that's what we're doing here today. Yeah. We're releasing the truth. Right. And we're saying that, you know, you have to understand that people are different, but just because that because they're different, don't make them wrong. That's right. I went to a presence awareness training, and they had a powerful exercise where it has it has three circles and a square, mm -hmm. and the question is, which one of these do not belong? Mm -hmm. So everybody says, "Oh, the square, the square." It's like, no, no, no. Read the question. Which one belong? Uh -huh. Just because it's different doesn't mean that it doesn't belong. Absolutely. Exactly. And and. As you were saying, the power of the truth and the and the problem and the reason why we're talking about truth telling in the age of nostalgia mm -hmm. is that if America does not embrace the truth, and I always say on my podcast, we have to learn the truth. We learn to love the truth, even the truth that incriminates us, mm -hmm. because it is that truth that empowers us mm -hmm. to be something mm -hmm. other than the villain. If truth, truth will release you. Truth is mm. the is the key that mm. unlocks the door. Mm. And if you don't have truth, then you stay incarcerated. You you may not be in a federal or state prison, yeah. but you're still incarcerated. Yeah. Because you're limited mm. by your thinking. And like I yeah. said, the schisms. Yeah. The racism. Yeah. The sexism. Right. What they do, mm. they not only keep things out. Mm. But they also keep things in. Mm. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, so my <laughs> podcast is dedicated to, to to Dr. King, and one of his um, sermons is called "Guidelines for a Constructive mm -hmm. Church," mm -hmm. and he talks about. Um, uh, uh, Jesus saying that I came to set the captives mm -hmm. free, mm -hmm. and he said the 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 problem with um, uh, that people respond people responded to the rights um, at uh, a movement. Uh, he was saying that they only think that the people in prison are the people who can't eat at certain places or the people who have dogs released on them. But he said there are people sitting in churches captive to racism and the isms, right? Yes. Like you said, locked yes. in that system. Yes. And, and the reason why we want truth telling is not just to have our narrative told because we want to see the captives yes. set, set free. free. And there are captives in America and captives that have been captive generationally mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, truth telling is an act of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people per perpetuate their state by confirming that what they're doing is right. Mm. Yeah. And the reality is it's wrong. Right. And it's wrong to prejudge. It's wrong to discriminate. Right. It's wrong to have a a, a mentality of superiority. Right. You know, we were all created in his image. Right. Absolutely. So so what is what uh as we just pray for you and discerning in the next moment of your life, mm -hmm. where, where, do, where do you think is the next venture for, for you and your family? Well, you know, one of the things that um, 
God showed me when I was in the prison. Mm. And I wanted to um, slow the flow mm. of minorities in the prison. So right. the way that I thought that it could be done is by stopping people from going in. Mm. But one of the things I want to do is I want to be involved in um, helping um, empty the prisons by mm. um, identifying unjust synthesis and yeah. un- unjust you know incarceration yeah and um and i, I want to be involved in um setting the captives free mm-hmm. i i want i want mm-hmm. god to use me to be involved in setting the captives free i don't know how he's going to do it right but one of the things i've learned about god god is not concerned about ability mm-hmm. he's concerned about availability mm-hmm. so i'm available Amen. 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 And yeah, that's 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 really uh, the truth about like, you know, you have to be available mm-hmm. for this work. And mm-hmm. sometimes God, God just uses who's available. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for your availability. Mm-hmm. And as you've been set, setting the captives free and in spiritual and in physical ways as well, we want to continue to pray and hopefully we can partner in setting the captives Sounds free, whether good. it be spiritual or otherwise. I, I think that yeah. I think that what you said is true. You cannot be free mm. physically right. if you're incarcerated spiritually. Yeah, our revolution is first internal. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, so setting the cap is free, and so uh, what, one of the philosophy of our podcast is that basic arithmetic teaches us that there can be no difference without subtraction, right? And so when you say I want to make a difference in an area, you have to wonder what needs to be subtracted mm-hmm. from my life, mm-hmm. and sometimes subtraction has to be the lies that we hold on to about ourselves um and sometimes people hate the truth because it changes the relationship they'll have to have with the lie um john the baptist reason in prison because he he goes and and says uh uh to the king it's wrong for you to have your brother's wife and then his wife begins to hate him right not because of who john the baptist was but because that the the truth truth he held (laughs) made them have to change her relationship with the lie that she held and i think that has been the nature of the spiritual nature of the violence against us is because we represent we are testament against the um myth of the christian nation right uh uh and that our very truth makes america have to change the relationship uh that it has to itself yes um uh, i always try and leave the listeners with something to read i remember you telling me about the book myth of a christian Mm -hmm. nation Mm -hmm. would you want to just share a little bit about that you know one of the things that the myth of the christian nation um talks about how we here in america Mm has made the flag synonymous to the cross. Mm. And so what it does, it renders the cross um, futile. Mm. It takes, it wants to take the power away from the cross. But, Mm. you know, one of the things that was clear to me that my God Mm. is not going to be trumped. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that on our podcast, episode number four. Are we America's church or are we God's church? Yeah, and yeah. you have to remember that um, 
Jesus was killed by his government, mm-hmm. not for it. Mm-hmm. And Caesar said, oh, you're trying to be Caesar. That's why they put king of the Jews mm-hmm. and, and, and mocked him. Mm-hmm. And so if we're aligned with Christ, we have to be comfortable with being misaligned mm-hmm. with our country. When, said my house. Right, 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 exactly. When when it is uh, when it steps outside of the guidelines mm-hmm. that, that God has for its church. Um, and so, yeah, that's 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 the truth that we are that we are uh, uh, um, ordained with carrying in America. And I thank you for joining us for this time. And uh, thank you for coming on. Thank and, you. Uh, thank any you. last words you'd like to give to uh, the no. listeners before? Uh, no, he's good. Hey, he's thank, uh, you. <laughs> good. thank you. So thank you for joining us uh, for a difference in thought. Um, uh, so as, remember, uh, the truth telling is that we're in an age of n- distorted nostalgia and, and lies. And we have to be willing to tell the truth because America, in order to be all that it can be, it needs to change its relationship with the lie it has been carrying. Um, this is your host, Charlie Ray. This is Brother Gary Randall here. And uh, thank you for joining us. Peace. What a powerful interview by <laughs> Brother Gary Randall. And that was a long one, but I just, you know, I think he was a, just a great example of what um, being in a system that a lot of times tries to spin a different narrative about people that are captured or imprisoned, whether that's uh, captive to racism or literally in chains, it's important that we stay awake during um, the revolution and nostalgia is one of the best lullabies to lull people to sleep. Whether it's Make America Great Again, you have to ask when was America great, who was great for, and who paid the price tag for it to be great daggone it. Uh, These are all important things to think about and to consider. Uh, And Brother Randall's, you know, it was amazing to me, you know, that it took him 10 years before he actually uh, went to Saul prison. Like, that was crazy to me. You can comment below and let me know what was, what <laughs> stood out for you all as well. But um, I think it's, like, very interesting that um, John the Baptist, while he's in prison, you know, uh, asks Jesus, is he who he says that he is? And Jesus says his response that typically, you know, uh, people say, uh, oh, he's selling to John the Baptist. But in the context of this and what was going on with, uh, the king's wife, I kind of was reading, you know, Jesus says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Um, could it be that he also was talking about four people like the king's wife who uh, tried to bury the truth, right? Instead of letting the truth uh, speak to them and, and let them uh, surrender that lie. Could it be that it's best and there's a blessing for those who prefer nostalgia or reality that it's best to accept the truth that incriminates you than to continue to live in a lie. Uh, as we look at the trends of America and people expecting a blue wave or all these other types of things and all those other things, like it's, it's important to recognize that nothing's going to change unless it's confronted. At some point, we uh, have to look at our history. Uh, and look at the way in our narratives and you know eventually hopefully there'll be a day where it, this Thanksgiving thing is actually about uh, what happened to Native Americans and not this Cowboys versus Redskins and all this other types of things that these other habits of distorted nostalgia that we 
dive into or saying uh, surely God has blessed America instead of uh, reading things like the myth of a Christian nation or as Reinhold Niebuhr talks about the irony of American history and, and really looking at the soul of America and seeing not only have how we've gotten wrong, well, how the things we have ignored simply evolved while we have slept through this revolution, that and if anybody has the opportunity, I'd encourage you to go to the National Memorial of Peace and Justice. I'm sure the little clip that I had, it can't even do with justice, and the Legacy Museum, and seeing how there are, this nostalgia seeks to lure us to sleep during this revolution. And we have to be mindful of the momentum that we contribute to a system that still is oppressive, that has been, continues to be, and will be oppressive unless we say this is America. This, you know, Obama was a blip in the system, not Trump. This is how America has typically gotten down. And we have to embrace that truth and wrestle with it and let it change our name like Jacob wrestled with God. But we have to be about it and we have to stop this distorted nostalgia and we have to challenge it. This has been A Difference of Thought, season two. Episode number one, this is America, truth-telling in the age of nostalgia. Thank you for rocking with your boy, Charlie Ray. Um, I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.